Welcome to Avoid the Confusion, the podcast where we delve deep into the minds of top performers in their respective fields. I'm your host, Kenny Robinson, and each week my goal is to bring you inspiring guests who will share their stories and strategies for success. Here at Avoid the Confusion, we believe that mental toughness is the key to achieving your goals. We explore the power of not giving up. We showcase the many failures and obstacles that are part of the journey towards success. So join us on this weekly journey of discovery as we bring you stories that show we are all human and that success is achievable with the right mindset and strategies. Get ready to be inspired to be the best version of yourself and Buckle up and don't forget, this is Avoid the Confusion. Welcome back to Avoid the Confusion this week. I've got Nate Griffin with me. Nate, thank you so much for joining us. To those of you who don't know, Nate has one of probably the most exciting financial minds that I get the opportunity to sort of dig into every now and then. I'll call him and ask him for a little bit of help, some clarity on on my numbers from time to time. And I'm so glad to have Nate on today. Nate has done a a lot in a short amount of time. He's a fairly young guy with a ton of experience. So I'm excited to get into this. Before we get started, Nate, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. How you been? Man, I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here on this podcast. Uh, Being a guest on podcasts has become, you know, just something that's so much fun to have a conversation with people and share the story and things like that. But uh, I think you covered a lot of the introduction, man. You know, my well, I'm sure we're going to dig deep into some of my journey and things like that from where I started to where I am now. So something I want to talk about a little bit, because I've gotten to know you, especially over about the last year, pretty well. <clears throat> and um, so for those of you listening, Nate currently owns uh, a couple coffee shops, I believe. I know you own a, a construction company. You're a home builder. Yep. You do a lot of day trading there. You know, your, your, your financial skills seem to be sort of the second to none. Um, so tell us a little bit about early on when you were first getting started in business for yourself, before you started into dabbling in investments and all that, you've, I've heard your story. Tell us a little bit about how that evolved. Man, it's just, it's such an interesting thing to look back on and how everything's woven together um, kind of perfectly. You know, I finished my master's degree in chemistry from Carolina in 2012 and coming out of that, that's still the, you know, the end of that 0809 tank and crash and all that mess. So salaries for someone with a master's degree in chemistry were looking like $35,000. And uh, I was like, no, thanks. My brother works at a call center. He makes that. I have a master's degree. I'm not going to do that. And so... I moved back home and I went and lived with my mom and just tried to figure it out. I started working on the side with my dad, um, doing things like that. And I was already into trading and things like that. So then I went to work, you know, remotely for a hedge fund before remote work was even popular, like day trading and stuff. And that's really where I cut my teeth trading a lot. And along that journey, you know, I, I was when you work from home from a computer and you're just a remote isolated worker, it's lonely. So I took an evening job working at the Olive Garden to meet people and hang out and get to talk to people. Like if you sit at my table, I'm going to have a fun time conversation. Like it was for fun. And, you know, that's where I met my future business partner, Greg, who I own the coffee shops with. So uh, actually from working at the Olive Garden, joined his worship team at a church and started playing guitar for a praise band because him and a his friend came in on a random Friday night and we just hit it off having a good conversation. And he's like, Hey man, you play guitar. I'm like, yeah, I play guitar. He's like, you want to come play guitar at a church on Wednesday? I was like, 
I'm down. Let's give it a try. You know, just living that like, yeah, sure. Why not? Kind of philosophy. And, you know, six months into that, a year into that or whatever, you know, I'd been studying and reading about starting my own business and all that. And, you know, hedge funds kind of burning me out and I've got enough money to get by for a few years that I was pieced out from that. And he was talking to me one day like, Hey, I, I want to start my own business. And I was like, you know, I can help you with the book smarts, the numbers of that. But what's your idea? And he's like, well, I either want to start a vintage clothing shop for men. And this is, mm-hmm. remember this is 2012. It wasn't cool yet. He was yeah. ahead of his time. And we'd have made so much money doing that looking back. And then his other idea was, he loves coffee and wants to roast his own coffee and sell it at farmer's markets and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, that's a low cost entry point. We don't even need a retail shop. We can sell online and go to farmer's markets. Let's do it. So before you know it, we're roasting coffee and stuff. And, you know, a year into that, it's growing okay, but not enough to sustain him and me because by then I'm starting to run out of my hedge fund world money. Right. And, um, it's like, well, I got to start another business because this isn't making enough for both of us. So I went and started a construction company with my adopted brother because he wanted to get into construction, do quality work. All the Wahoos around here are not quality guys. And I was like, well, I'll just sell you work and you just to go do a good job and we'll split it 50-50. Yeah. And so that's how that started. And here we are. The coffee shop's been around nine and a half years now. So uh, Man, that's construction awesome. business by eight. And that's really the... The bug that bit is, you know, growing up, my dad, he went out on his own as electrical contractor when I was like seven. And so he never built a business. He was always self-employed and there's a distinction there. And he always told me when I went off to college and stuff, he's like, learn how to build a business so that you make money when you don't go to work and that he's self-employed and there's a difference. Absolutely. And I know from knowing you and your store, you, you've done a quite a good job of that because I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you probably put in less full-time hours. Most people put into their job in a week than you do in most of your businesses for the entire year and still generate a decent profit on the back end of that. So you've done a, an amazing job of building businesses and not just being self-employed, but uh, there's a part to your story I want to ask you a little bit about in between you starting the construction company and obviously getting involved in the coffee shops. Me and you have talked before and you actually worked for the FBI for a little while. Am I correct? Yeah, man, that was one of the the better paying jobs with a master's degree in chemistry is I did a stint there. Um, you know, I worked with the Counterterrorism and Forensic Science Research Unit also known as CFSRU, along with the Evidence Response Team Unit, or ERTU. And uh, I helped develop Scent Mimics to Train Cadaver Dogs for a while. And that, you know, I lived in Stafford, Virginia. I worked on the base in Quantico at the Academy and stuff like that. And I think, you know, that was a key moment in my life that was super pivotal because the two spots that went to basically recent grads or, you know, college-age students and stuff, um, there were like 20,000 applicants for those two spots yeah. and me and another dude got those two spots. So one, you're the cream of the crop automatically right there. Right. And going through getting a top secret clearance and all that stuff and get being vetted by the FBI and having an FBI badge and access card different than like an agent badge. Yeah. But having a badge you flash when you go through the military gate and stuff is like, that was really a season where I went from like kind of like a lack of confidence to like stupid confidence that I can achieve whatever I want to. 
for sure. Because I got to go work out and play basketball with some of the top of the top police force and agents in the in the world, really, because uh, they do the whole you know sheriff's academy and stuff like that there, and uh, do the yellow brick road and all those things mm-hmm. that came with being at the bureau. That was just an amazing journey of like you can do this. Like if you get accepted here, like you're the cream of the crop, because. It's like 20,000 applicants. I think it was a total of like eight or nine spots across different labs, but my lab only had two spots. Yeah. And this question isn't to pick fun at anybody or make, you know, act like anybody's better than anybody because of salaries, but the cream of the crop, master's degree, going into a position like that, what's the annual salary for something like that? 42,000. That's what, that's what I'm saying, man. And, you know, I'm not rich by any means, but in my business life you know there there are weeks where we make forty two thousand um you know there are le- weeks where we lose forty two thousand so I'm not <laughs> saying it's all amazing but the opportunity out there for someone in my opinion that's that's looking to sort of separate themselves when it comes financially school is not bad but it's not always the answer I think there's a lot you've probably accomplished in your life that you maybe couldn't have accomplished without a degree so I'm not going to say that going through that and getting it was useless yeah. but at the same time I know a lot of wealthy people who own businesses and do yeah. extremely well for themselves who yeah. stopped at high school so I think something that can sort of be pulled from that story you being cream of the crop only making 42,000 is that you can get a very rewarding career that does pay decent money by doing it a traditional way, going to school, but that's not always necessary. And I think it would be behooved anybody who's thinking about just going to college to get a degree to make sure you specifically know what you're going for. Like I always tell people, if you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, something like that, then by all means, if you feel called to do that, then go do that. But if you're not mm-hmm. sure what you want to do, don't rush into college, go out and get you some life experience, start trying some things out. And then figure out where you want to go. I don't think, and you being in finances the way you are and understanding, I don't think, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in student debt is a great place to start from either, especially if you're going to enter into a career that only pays you 42,000. I mean, you also have to live. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a interesting topic because you have people on both sides of the fence that point the finger. And uh, usually it's the non-college guy saying, Hey, don't go to college. Cause I made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have a master's degree and multiple undergraduate degrees, and I beat my chest saying, hey, you probably shouldn't go to college for the most part. Uh, doctor, pharmacist, vet, things that are very specific and require certain education. If you're dead set on being an agent at the bureau, go get a college degree. If you want to be an officer in the Marines, go get a college degree first and then go to OCS and stuff like that. Because uh, story of the bureau, you pretty much – Master's degree is like the bottom of the crop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Most of them have PhDs and stuff. Um, or they're military transferred in and still have PhDs or working mm-hmm. on it and stuff like that. So I think there's a place for it. But I think for the most part, taking on the unnecessary debt, it it becomes the chains that bind you from being able to run free and whatever you believe is your true passion or vision because you got to make that payment. And it's one of those, they don't care if you you die or anything like that, you're making that payment. That's right. That's right. And it's all it's, it's one that has always scared me, especially talking to my kids, like you said, because it puts you when you do find your career, you're such you're starting at such a disadvantage from somebody mm-hmm. who was able to go, for example, go to a trade school for a shorter amount of time and learn something like welding and they can come out making a significantly higher 
salary because unfortunately for our society, in my opinion, we've entered a, a era where a lot of people don't want to use their hands to work. Everybody wants a cushy yep. computer job or sales job or finance job. And they're, those are limited, you know, and, and re- as long as we continue to use computers or use cars or flush the toilet, we're going to need plumbers. We're going to need electricians. We're going to need fabricators. And it seems like those, okay. those careers are the ones that, in my in my opinion, are, are starting to sort of you're starting to see the shift back in salaries because of the demand. So um, I'm glad we talked about that a little bit. But I, something I really want to dig into with you, man, is because of the way your mind works. Um, I'm fascinated to hear you talk about finances and understanding numbers. And I know for me, like for example, coming into being a business owner, I didn't understand gross margins and net margins and how to pay sales commissions and all this type stuff. So. When it comes to the finances of a business early on, and you're for the for the people listening who are thinking about starting something or in those early stages, when it comes to finances, what kind of advice would you give to those to those that are are curious? And and is there are there some things that you have seen that people really need to take into consideration that probably don't early well, on? Well, there's I mean, there's a handful of things. So if somebody's looking to start a business and they don't know much about finance. Um this is one of the times where I will recommend going to a community college and taking a, like accounting 101 class. There you go. Uh, for adults in the evening, online, whatever. You could probably find an online program that goes through everything, but so that you can actually do some practical application of accounting and get mm-hmm. your feet wet with understanding finance lingo and things like that. I think, you know, something like that, let's say it's $300 for that credit or whatever. Um, I don't see it being much. That's a great $300 and some time spent to understand fundamentals of numbers. Because one thing I see is as you get started, it's easy to go hire an accountant or a bookkeeper and all that. But like, I see a lot of people not able to verify that their accountant or bookkeeper are actually able to do their job and because they don't understand it themselves. So it's easy to take advantage of someone that has no clue about numbers. So I would start with learning fundamentals from online class or something like that you know i'm i'm working on putting something together for contractors specifically to be able to understand basic financial intelligence and cash flow management so um, you know that's something i would recommend anybody looking to start their own business that's you know out of high school or whatever or been working for someone and just wants to go out on their own is Mm -hmm. get like an entry-level understanding of basic accounting the basic three statements, cash flow, profit and loss, understanding how debt works and understanding how to manage their own cash flow. Uh, you know, I think spending some time really understanding that and understand that for a lot of guys, you know, when you start out, there there's cash burn. There's a run rate for the first so long until you get established. You know, like if you're if you just started building new houses, for example, you're not going to make any money for like a minimum of nine months. Mm-hmm. You're going to be riding in the hole. If you go on your own today and start a new construction today, it's going to be six to nine months before you see the back end check on that. Right. That's right. And so like you got to be able to take care of yourself and your family for whatever your project run rate is before you can leave your actual full time job. So, you know, I see people push and make that jump maybe early. But, you know, if you're if you're slapping up decks and stuff and there's a three day turnaround of roofs and stuff, you can cash flow that pretty quick if you have been selling on the side and building your brand and things like that before you launch. But understanding that just because you go out on your own, it might be a while before you actually start making money to take care of your family. That's right. And then I've seen people who 
thought the same thing about roofing because you can turn around pretty quickly, but they realized there's, for example, I know a guy who thought there was more money in the insurance side of the restoration side instead of a retail market, but it was taking so long to get paid. I watched him go belly up, same thing, not being able to afford those sort of float that the cost of those bills until you get paid on them ends up being pretty, pretty hard to do. And then you go into the bank with a brand new business or requesting lines of credit and that kind of stuff. You look too scary on paper. So it's uh, hard, hard to get those. I I ran into some of those issues behind Hurricane Sally myself. And that's when I realized before I ever reached out and hired a business coach that I wasn't making the money that I thought I was making. We were actually hemorrhaging money in a lot of areas that I didn't realize, you know, you see, you got three, 4 million a year coming in in revenue and you think there's no way we're not making money. And then by the time all the dust settles, you've lost money and you don't even understand how it happens. So I reached out and uh, found Mike Claudio, Winrate Consulting. Obviously that's how me and you met, you being a, a coach on yep. that team now as well, man. But, um, Whenever I get to talking to people about business and finances, I typically find that a lot of people really don't truly know their numbers. And uh, and I think a lot of people chase a huge revenue number and don't actually understand what that actually leaves them at the end of the year. And uh, I had a guy once told, tell me that he, he had a $6 million a year roofing company, but he was able to net 20%. And he said most of these guys running 18, 25, 30 million companies are lucky to hit four or five percent. So you do the math. He's like, tell me who has the better business. And I understood pretty early on. It's not it's not about that big revenue number, even though we all like to chase big numbers, man. But Nate, tell us a little bit about your experience in the in the coffee business, man, because that one was another exciting one to me. And I'm going to tell everybody listening. I hope you throw a plug in at first on where they can order some because I the few times we've we've spent weekends and stuff together and I've had that coffee and it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, just solid. Uh, everybody should check out uh, shop.anchorcoffeeco.com and order a bag of coffee online. We can grind it or send it to you whole bean. And we've got a bunch of different varieties to choose from and all of them are sure to please. So I think that journey has been interesting. You know, I started the coffee business and we originally just, uh, we wanted to roast and wholesale coffee. So we wanted online retail, farmer's market retail, land wholesale accounts. So that means like distribute to coffee shops, restaurants, hotels, whoever would buy in like five pound increments, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of consumer of coffee, big craft bags. So, you know, we got my first business loan was actually like a local economic development center. Um, they gave me a 3% interest rate loan for like 18 grand to buy our first coffee roaster, like a big propane powered coffee roaster that you do 10 to 11 pounds at a time in that machine. And um, a roast takes like 12 minutes. So you could do like four cycles an hour would be running pretty hard, like 40 pounds an hour. Yeah. Um, so my partner and I, Greg, we used to sit in this. So I rented this like basement of this huge, like I think our floor was like 4,000 square feet, but it was like three story old downtown built in 1905 brick built like brick foundation building. And we set up a roaster in there and we set up, you know, plastic fold out tables was our assembly line of bagging coffee and stuff. And then we had this ugly little office that we didn't renovate at all. We just do some desk in there and him and I would sit, and we had a guy who his job was build us a list to call. And okay. then my business partner and I every day would call at least a hundred people 
and basically beg them to take our free samples. Okay. Out of like 200 calls, we might send out three a day, maybe. And out of every 50 samples sent out, we might get someone to willing to take their first order. And what we quickly learned in the wholesale coffee space is that People don't like to change, no matter how good the product is. Yeah. They especially don't like to change to a new company that they consider risky. Like, how do we know you're going to be here in two years? We've been buying from this guy for seven. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, valid. I can't really prove you otherwise. It's our first year of business. Um, so I was like, well, what the hell are we going to do, Greg? We've called like 20,000 people across the United States. Yeah. And we have five wholesale clients. And I was like, this just isn't working. Retail's not, uh, online sales isn't enough. And I was like, well, we got this big ass building. Let's build a retail coffee shop and start selling coffee by the drink. We're here anyways. We might as well let people come in and hang out with us and capitalize on it. So we spent like two grand, built out our first coffee shop and uh, borrowed, a, rented an espresso machine from someone that trusted us to just not blow it up. And just, I did all the work myself and we kind of, Jimmy rigged it, so to speak, and like our our dump sink beside the espresso machine, most yeah. of the customers didn't know, but it was straight popped into a five-gallon bucket because I couldn't afford to put the plumbing <laughs> in the concrete. <laughs> so I had to in the bucket. You had to slide it out and carry it in a five-gallon bucket of water for a little barista woman too heavy. So you got to have a man working the bar to be able to carry it down the hallway about probably 100 feet total and dump it in a dump sink. Oh, man. If you let it get That's too wild. full, you could put a second one there. But once you had two full, there's not enough room under the counter to have more than two buckets. Yeah. And so that that's is, uh, that... how we pivoted into retail because wholesale sales and hitting the phones all day, every day was just, it, it whipped us, honestly. I, it was definitely a, some humble pie in there, uh, learning I to bet. call and cold call because you're just cold calling, getting hung up on, cursed at, yelled at. Like, I just want to send you my coffee. It's free. I promise. It's a free sample. Just take it. Please. Please. Just say yes. I just, I need to check off that. I sent some samples today. So when y'all were getting this started, did either one of you actually know anything about coffee or were you trying to, or were you sort of figuring all that out as you went as well? I didn't even drink coffee. <laughs> okay. I knew less than nothing. I'd had three cups of coffee in my entire life at that point. I didn't drink coffee. And I basically told my business partner, Craig, if we can make something I enjoy black, we've made good coffee. Yeah. And you did that. I, I will say, yeah, I will say you accomplished that because I, I drink coffee black for the first time when we were together about a year ago at a retreat. And ever since then, I've had me some anchor coffee and I, and I drink it black and it's not bad at all. So you did. If nothing else, accomplish that goal. We achieved that mission. <laughs> we actually sure. started with a Whirly Pop popcorn popper, like the okay. hand crank mm -hmm. one. Uh, ordered some beans from this website called Sweet Maria's, like a five-pound bag of coffee beans, and started roasting it in my friend's house kitchen on the stove with a Whirly Pop popcorn popper and just cranking the shit out of it. And it takes like 15 minutes to roast it. We, Our very first batch we charcoaled it. We roast. We roasted it. Roasted it, and uh, we ground it up and drank some. And it also tasted like charcoal. <laughs> and so we had all the bad. We did. We burned through about four popcorn poppers. I had the thick, heavy duty stainless steel one. 
Uh, I finally got tired of cranking it, so we would cut the end off and put a, a drill to it and just hold the trigger to spin the popcorn popper. We, we've done everything that you can do to modify popcorn popper to make it more efficient for us in those early days. Yeah. Uh, but so, but once you got sort of the mix and the roast figured out, then that's when you went and, and got the loan and invested the money in the actual roaster so that. We, we did a whole season that year at the farmer's market, basically roasting in a popcorn popper. Yeah. We actually, okay. second roaster was I bought a propane grill and there's this thing called an arcade drum kit. And it's basically a, a, the width of a grill, stainless barrel. It's mm -hmm. got a mesh. And it's got a little flap on the end. You load your beans in it, and it's got a motor mount, and you plug it in, and it spins like a rotisserie on your grill. Okay. Uh, custom. You had to custom build it and put it all together and get the parts from this guy. It's like $600 investment, and the grill was like $300 because you want to use a new grill. So I have like $900 in that one. And we could do five pounds at a time in it instead of only like eight ounces or 10 ounces in the popcorn popper. And you could do two roasts an hour. And you had to have big gloves, like real gloves, because you'd have to pick it up, turn it up, open the flap, and dump it out in a cooling tray to cool the coffee. And my cooling tray was wire mesh suspended over some wood with a box fan under it, blowing air through it. Yeah, These are and the stories what... that I love, because I want anybody who has ever <laughs> walked into an Anchor Coffee and ordered a cup of coffee to know how it started and to understand what it took to get to where it is today. Because, you know, I think so many people look at a coffee shop and they think, man, I could just throw one of these together. And they don't realize how much yeah. trial and error and uh, lost mainly time. You probably didn't lose a lot of money in the beginning, but you did lose a lot of time that you'll never get back. I mean, <laughs> I'll never forget. So we found this online coffee subscription program and they do like, they have their list and they're always using a different roaster to send out to their whole list. So each mail out, it's like eight ounce bags, but they might send out, 140 bags for that month's delivery to their list okay and i can't remember the name of that company but we had sent them samples and well, they liked it and so we got signed up in their system sent them all our tax stuff and they sent us their first order was 120 pounds okay. your max capacity was like nine pounds an hour <laughs> and this was like a friday and we needed to mail it on monday and so Greg and I, we spent a whole weekend running that damn grill roaster outside. If it pops up a rainstorm, you got to go hide in the shed and stuff. And it, we spent a whole weekend running five pounds at a time through that thing so that we could make that Monday shipment to that company. That was our first big, like big order. So I'll tell you this. I don't, we don't, I don't talk about much about, we have a little ice cream. It's an Italian ice business at the mall here where we live locally. We got these little carts that set out and we hire 14, 15 year old kids to run them for us. And uh, that looks like a very easy, highly profitable business from the outside looking in. It is, but what people don't understand is we make it ourselves and very similar to you. It takes us three three um, cycles, 20 minute cycles to make two, two and a half gallon tubs of this stuff. So we can make five gallons an hour, basically just under six gallons an hour. And we go through about a thousand of those two and a half gallon tubs in a 60 day period in the summer. So it is profitable, but like the month of July, I didn't even see my wife Macy that much. It was either me or her every night to almost 10, 11 o'clock at night down there, just steady making ice cream just like you're talking about i sit there with my ipad and i try to watch netflix or do some push-ups <laughs> or something but you're just steady just 
going through the motions of making this stuff, man. And for us, it's seasonal. So we have to run ourselves all the way out. We can't just keep it all. It'll cost us too much to store it all winter long until we open for the next 90 day period. But, uh, but I think a lot of people look at those little businesses and think, man, this would be so easy. And it's not, I'm not saying it's not worth it. And I'm not saying technically you, you define easy, but you're putting in a lot of time. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that goes into that, that a lot of people just don't, just don't realize, but man, going from coffee, uh, not making a, enough money. Obviously you said you had to have another source of income when you decided to start the the home building company with your brother. So which one of the two of you were home builders and, and knew how to launch that business? So my brother had just finished the construction management program at the community college. Okay. And basically he had a tool belt and some basic tools and he knew a little bit about everything because that program, you got to take an electrical class, a plumbing class, a masonry mm-hmm. class. So he, he knew all the handy, basically he could do a little bit of everything. And growing up with my you know dad being an electrical contractor, I could do everything electrical. Like by the time I was 15, I could wire a house by myself. Mm-hmm. I used to do that in the summer. So like anything electrical, I was like, I got that. I do it without thinking. Cause I started putting outlets in when I was like eight years old. And so yep. I don't even have to kill the power, just rock and roll. And uh, I was pretty handy. I like to build things and stuff like that. Cause one of my favorite things to do on the job sites was study everybody else working. So I'm an observer and I can learn by watching. So I would watch the plumbers work and ask them why they're doing things and probably be that annoying kid that they wish would leave so they could work. But I want to know why they were doing it the way they were. Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing with the HVAC guy. Why are you running your duck that way? Why is it that big? And so I've just always had this like massive thirst for knowledge and understanding why things are the way they are. And so when we, when I got with him and started that, I already had my real estate license. I wasn't a contractor yet, but we launched that business. And step one for me is I reached out to all the realtors in my area and I said, Hey, my brother and I were in business. I'll handle all your real estate punch lists. You know, like when you go to close on a house and there's all that little tidbit stuff that the buyer wants done before they'll close with the seller. Well, I I made an offer to everyone that if it's a short list, I guarantee it to be done in 48 hours or less. Okay. The two criteria, you're not going to argue with me on my price. No price shopping me. And two, I get paid a closing. I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. And so that took off like a rocket ship, man. Just being someone that people could trust to go in their home. Uh, I had my real estate license. My mom's a realtor. My dad's a contractor. So kind of their brand backed me, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So I already had that like street cred with the realtors and we could come in and knock uh, a lot of times here you get GFIs, not right. Smoke alarms. And mm-hmm. I could do all that stuff like back of my hand. So I was like, sure. Why not? I started charging $125 to swap GFIs each. So the house had needed three GFIs. That's three seventy five. I'm making it. And I can do that in 30 minutes, 40 minutes, you know? Yep. Uh, so so I figured out like some basic services price list and we actually started our business as just a, almost like a handyman service business to come in and knock out all the little stuff and started networking. Then that leads to the realtors talking to their clients about you. And then that leads to the client saying, Hey, could you do this little bit of remodeling? Could you paint my house? Mm-hmm. Um, so I got really good at painting, learned all the basic stuff of that. And I would YouTube warrior myself and just learn it or go find someone and learn from them real quick so that I could go do it. And that's how we built the business. And then we landed a big remodel. And then all of a sudden we're doing some additions. And then 
I don't know. It was like four years down the line. I was like, I think I want to build a new house, but no one's ever going to let me build them a house if I haven't built one. So I built a spec house and I raised the money to build the spec house. And then we flipped some houses because my dad flipped houses when I was a teenager. So I was already familiar with that. So the first house I flipped, I I made a deal with this old man. I was like, I'm going to buy your house for $75,000. Are you good with that? Sign right here. And we signed a real estate contract. I bought his house for $75,000, closed in two weeks. I had $3,000 in the bank uh, and no access to any money. So I literally just called everyone I knew. I said, hey, I'm buying this house. I'm going to flip it. Uh, If you'll loan me some money, I'll give you 10% more than you uh, loan me back in less than a year, guaranteed. And I had the money within seven days. And that was my first time raising capital. Yeah. Uh, That was before I built my new house. And then I did the same thing to build my spec house was I called all those same people. Hey, you remember that time we flipped that house and you made all that money? I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to build a spec house. It's going to take me eight to nine months to build it, 60 days to get it sold. So year turnaround time, max. And- People, people did that one. And then after that, I had something marketable and that attracted the, uh, one of the local home builders who's super successful in my area. That's getting close to retirement. He came to my open house for it and like respected the quality of work we were doing. And then he started sending me some new construction leads and stuff like that because I built my name and he knew my dad and stuff like that. So all that, man, that, that was a wild journey from where your punch list, real estate guys, like put electrical outlets in to, you know, that first year we did, we started in like July and July to December, we only did like $80,000 in business. 35,000 of that was a single remodel job for a house that my mom was selling that needed some work done on it, like residing and stuff before she could sell it. So 35 of it was a job my mom sent me. Mm -hmm. And uh, the next year we did like, 300 a year after that, like 700 a year after that, like 1.2. Okay. So I think that's something that many people need to hear because I think so many people want to start off with a big home building company. They think they need to build 10 homes a year when no, absolutely not. Like under, there's nothing wrong with starting small. There's nothing wrong with starting as a handyman, for example, and start learn what it takes to be in business for yourself. Start understanding insurances and comps, especially if you got to hire a few people to help you out and yeah. and grow, but never stop learning. Like I tell everybody, if you're trying to do something you've never done before, the, the fastest and most assured way, in my opinion, to get there is go find somebody who's done what you're trying to do and pay for help. Just, just go pay yeah. somebody to help you and help you understand. Because the thing is, I've been to several like Dave Yoho profitability summits. And one of Dave Yoho's favorite things to say at the beginning of those is, is you don't know what you do. You, you don't, you can't know what you don't know. And, and it's yep. so true. Like if you, you have no idea what you don't know, there's no way to go out and seek that knowledge. So if you're going to go into building homes or go into starting a roofing company or pouring sidewalks, whatever the case may be, I suggest that everybody go find a coach in that space, somebody that you trust, look at their reviews, talk to people who have used them before, make sure that somebody who's reputable and not just trying to be a fake guru and take all your money with, with, with smoke and mirrors, but actually pay for some help and have somebody coach you and teach you on, on the things that you just don't know. But um, Nate, thank you again for, for coming on. I think you've told a lot of great stories. We're a little over 30 minutes in, man. I think we could probably just about cap it here. But before we do, with everybody listening, is there any advice you would give somebody who's trying to follow some of the paths that you have? 
You know, I think right now I'm super thankful as I look back that I did the work. Like I physically, like I can do the tile, I can frame the house, like I can do it. And what that taught me was I know what right is and I know how to look for it. So I think, you know, yeah, the revenue numbers those first few years weren't crazy, but I was learning so much and able to stay profitable all those years. So I think, uh, you know, take your time and really invest in the knowledge and the expertise and whatever field you're, if you're going to go build houses, I mean, there's so much to learn before you get to building whole houses. And um, a quick way to accelerate that is go hire you a coach or a mentor that's built the kind of business that you're trying to build. I think that's uh, something to look for in a mentor that they actually understand the space that they're helping you with. I agree with that. I agree with that a hundred percent. And then, like I said, you can't put a value on those early years in the education. You know, I had to do yeah. the, the same thing in my business and I'm glad that I went and did it myself because I can walk onto a job right now and instantly catch something that's going wrong. And I am an expert in my field and I wouldn't have been had I not struggled all those years early on figuring it out for myself. So I think <laughs> I, I think that's, there's some things you just can't skip and I think doing the work is without a doubt one of them, especially if you want to make it long-term. So before we get off of here, Nate, where can everybody reach you? Where can they order coffee? If you want to drop that link one more time and I'll make sure I put it all in the description as well. Yeah, man. The easiest way to find all my stuff is the link tree slash Nate Griffin has all my links to different things. And then shop.anchorcoffeeco.com, which is also on that link tree, but be sure to go there and buy some coffee. The coffee shop would definitely appreciate that. Yeah, man. It's amazing coffee. I suggest everybody go do that. It's probably the third time I said it, but I can't stress it enough. But Nate, thanks so much for coming on, man. I sure do appreciate you. And I'm sure everybody will be left in a better spot moving forward just from having to hear what you had to share today, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kenny. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Avoid the Confusion. We hope you found it inspiring and informative. Remember, success is not just about the talent. It's about mental toughness, perseverance, and the willingness to learn and grow. Make sure that if you found value in this episode today, that you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. If you truly found it valuable, share it with your friends and family so they too don't miss episodes moving forward. And then don't forget to join us again next week as we bring you another top performer in their respective field and explore what it takes to be the best version of you for you. Thanks again for listening to Avoid the Confusion. We'll see you next week.